Hello again, this is Rabbi Jeff Sachs of Atid with another episode of our Jewish Educators Book Club. Uh, and this time I'm sitting again with uh, my friend and colleague Rabbi Ruvain Ziegler of uh, Yeshiva Taratzion here in, in Alon Shvut, where we are where we are meeting, to talk about four volumes that have recently come out, all centered on or written by the great Rosh Yeshiva of, uh, of the Gush, of Yeshiva Taratzion, two volumes by and about Rav uh, Yehuda Amital, Zechert Tzadak Levracha, and two volumes uh, by and about uh, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, Yibodel L'chaim Tovim Baruchim. Each one, uh, two volumes in Hebrew, two volumes uh, in English. Rani is, of course, uh, generally involved uh, with all of the publication projects that come out uh, of the yeshiva, which have greatly increased uh, uh, in uh, in recent years, as well as the Meutzar Harav series, the posthumous writings of Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik, um, as well as um, supervising and generally editing the great online resource, the virtual Beit Midrash of Yeshiva Taratzion. The two volumes uh, about Rav Amital Zechatzak the Bracha, the first one in Hebrew, La'avdecha Be'emet, L'dmuto U'ladarko Shelar of Yehuda Amital, which is a memorial volume uh, that came out uh, just recently to coincide with the first anniversary of his passing, uh, was edited uh, by, uh, by Yurani. Just tell us a, a word about uh, Rav Amital, about his, his, uh, his, uh, his personality, uh, who he was, and how that very multi, multifaceted personality is reflected in this volume. Sure. I'd also just point out that uh, Ruben Daphne was the co-editor. Uh-huh. Deserves his credit. Um, Rav Amital, uh, to summarize an 85-year life in a minute or less, uh, was born in Hungary, uh, educated in a Lithuanian-style yeshiva there, uh, went through the Shoah, and was the sole survivor in his family. Uh, immediately after his liberation, he made his way to Israel. He actually reached Israel before the war was officially over. Uh, in uh, Hanukkah 1944. Um, he went back to yeshiva when he came here, uh, despite everything he had been through. He went back to sit and learn in yeshivat Hebron. Um, and uh, then during the War of Independence, uh, he fought in Sahal in various battles, in Latrun and in the Galil. He went uh, into education uh, he was at Yeshivat Hadarom, which was founded by his father-in-law. Uh, and uh, then in 1968, he started Yeshivat Haaretzion, and he was the Rosh Yeshiva for 40 years. Uh, it's interesting, I'll just uh, mention for those who don't know, he founded the Yeshiva, and then he decided to invite Rav Aaron Lichtenstein to be Rosh Yeshiva instead of him, not to be his co-Rosh Yeshiva, he said he wanted someone of, you know, the first rank to run this yeshiva. He didn't want it to be just another yeshiva. He wanted it to be a leading yeshiva uh, and something new and something different. He brought in Ravarn Lichtenstein from America. Uh, Ravarn Lichtenstein was a Rosh Yeshiva at YU, son-in-law of Rav Soloveitchik, uh, doctor of English literature, and uh, someone very different in many ways from Rav Amital, and he brought him in to, to replace himself. Uh, which shows extraordinary, extraordinary humility yeah. uh, and vision, uh, which is something that characterizes him. 
Uh, I'll also just mention that he started this yeshiva as a yeshivat hezder, which was not something very common in those days, and it was the first yeshiva that was really hezder lechatchila. Okay. It wasn't just a compromise of b'diavad. He believed that that was the By hezder. Of course, we're talking about students that combine military service here in Israel with yeshiva study. Correct. Uh, Rav Lichtenstein, being equally humble, uh, refused to accept the job of supplanting Rav Amital and said he would only take the job if Rav Amital would be Korosh Yeshiva, and that created a beautiful 40-year partnership. And beautiful and unusual. Very unusual uh, to have two Rosh Yeshiva lechatchila. It happens b'tiyevet sometimes yeah. if you have two people who, you know, are sons-in-law or sons. Um, and uh, he was head of the yeshiva for 40 years. We will speak about the yeshiva more later, what was unique about his educational philosophy. Uh, in the mid-80s, he also entered the political arena. He first he started a group called Meimad, which was first uh, an ideological educational th- um, organization, and then it became a political party uh, after the assassination of uh, Prime Minister Rabin. Uh, Prime Minister Paris invited him to be a minister in government, basically a minister to uh, bridge the gaps in Israeli society uh, and to bridge the gaps between Israel and those abroad. And uh, he passed away, as you said, uh, a year ago after a very long and productive right. career. Right. So as, as, as uh, memorial volumes go, it's, uh, you know, it's remarkable both for its, its scope, for the quality of some of the essays, of the appreciations, um, uh, someone who doesn't know who didn't know Rav Amital could read through the, the volume and really begin to glimpse how both paradoxically complex and simple in the, in the good meaning of that term, in the positive meaning of, uh, in the, in the, in the ex- pardon the expression, in the exalted meaning of what it means to be a Yehudi Pashut that was not so Pashut. Right, uh, uh, you know, you might call it uh, if if an English volume were to come out, uh, an English translation, you might call it like you know, the complexity of simpleness, right, uh, or something like that, uh, uh, you know, which kind of captures something about 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 who he was. Um, you know, give us a give us an overview of of some of the highlights in in the volume. There are how, how many essays? There are sixty seven essays. Sixty seven essays, including one authored by the president of the state of Israel, Shimon Peres, right? As well as his students, his family members, his uh, his colleagues, his uh, his talmidim, who went on to become uh, colleagues or junior partners in the yeshiva. Right. Well, uh, as many uh, of the reviewers have pointed out, it's extraordinary to find. Uh, memorial essays in one volume and next to the president of the state of Israel you have the yeshiva secretary right. and next to the Sephardi chief rabbi you have the guy who sat next to him in shul in Givat Mordechai, a, a balabas right. and you have uh, uh, you have alongside Russia yeshiva and deans of law schools and various talmidim who were influenced by him in many ways you have a non-religious uh, Israeli novelist mm-hmm. uh, and all of them Describe. I mean, you have uh, several colleagues, um, several family members, and many, many, many Talmidim uh, who have gone on to all sorts of different things. And each one portrays him, even when they portray the same traits, each one is coming from his own angle and talks about how deep Rav Amital's influence on him was. The, the book is divided into several sections. So you have those which obviously deal with him as a Rosh Hashiva, as an educator. You have uh, sections which deal with him as a public figure, 
as an Ishu Shalayim, as a simple Jew who wanted to daven in, in, in the Balabatish minion. Uh, right. And uh, you really have a very broad range of writers and themes. Uh, and I think that uh, that was one of the things that was very striking. Uh, it was interesting. I actually I read recently uh, two reviews of the book by people who did not know Rav Amital. And they said they'd heard about him that once he was in the government and they knew he had a yeshiva, but they didn't really know anything about him. And both of them independently, one was on Galei Sahal on the, on the radio. radio station, and one was on a, an internet website. Uh, both of them ended up saying the same thing. They said, first of all, when I read the book, I really wished I had known him. And I really felt that I got a three-dimensional portrait of a person. It wasn't, you know, the cookie-cutter guttal. And, you know, of course, the book does portray him as a Lamdan, as a Posek, but it also portrays him as a, as a human being, as a, as a, a very warm human being mm-hmm. and a very wise human being. Uh, and they also said something, which was what we were trying to get at, that the book is not just, you know, a tribute for those who knew him and appreciation that maybe his grandchildren will read. The book, like the best of memorial books, is really, it's a Musar book. It's a book of Amuna. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the interviewer on Galei Tahal said, and this was very deep, you don't expect to hear something like this on the radio, uh, he, said, I, he said, it's very rare that I read a book and it makes me want to be a better person and it makes me want to be a more serious person mm-hmm. because Rav Amital, his whole life was animated by a sense of mission after what he had been through and, uh, and he really felt that he had to make the most of, of the fact that he had survived and he had to build, and he had to contribute, and he had this constant sense <coughs> of mechuyavut, of commitment, uh, and it really comes through in all these essays. And I think that uh, even, even of course, I'm inspired by him because I knew him for many years. But even those who didn't know him can be very inspired and moved by that. The, the other book uh, that centers on him in English is called By Faith Alone. Uh, the story of Rabbi Yehuda Amital, uh, written by Eliashiv Reichner, who's a journalist. This book uh, was not is not published in cooperation with the yeshiva per se. Uh, it's a translation of a biography of Rav Amital that came out uh, a year or two before he he passed away, something right. like that. And now it's available uh, in English. Both of these volumes, I should I should add, Lav uh, Emet, the memorial volume, uh, co-published with the yeshiva, and by faith alone, the biography are 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 published and distributed by Magid Press, which is a relatively new line connected with uh, the Korain Press of the Sidur and Humash fame, and they're beginning to uh, uh, really um, put out a number of significant volumes, largely of Jewish thought, uh, and these two are nice additions to that line. Um, say a word about, you know, maybe about the biography and what somebody's going to find there, and then overall how... Uh, Rav Amital's educational vision, his personality as a as a mechanech, as a teacher, as an educator, are reflected in the works. The uh, as you, as you mentioned, uh, Yeshiv Reichner was not uh, a Talmud of Yeshivat Har Tzion who sat for many years in Rav Amital Shir. Uh, he's a journalist, and uh, he was fascinated by this very multifaceted personality of Rav Amital, and he. Uh, he was lucky enough to write this book uh, with Rav Amital's cooperation. He interviewed him, uh, so he did it at just the right time. As you mentioned, it came out uh, two years before Rav Amital passed away. Uh, he added a chapter in the new English edition yeah. that was posthumous. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, he was clearly enchanted and fascinated by this character of Rafa Mittal. Uh, and he per- portrays a, you know, a super positive uh, portrait of him. I mean, I guess biographers should try to be <laughs> critical, but he was really, uh, it was clear that he was just totally swept away by his encounter with Rafa Mittal. Uh, and the book, uh, the book focuses on, it tells the story of his life. And you also get, uh, through the story, you get some of his major ideas. But it's not a, a work of, of his philosophy. I'd like to point out that there are uh, three books that came out in English about Rav Amital's teachings, philosophy, Jewish thought. There's a book called um, Jewish Values in the Modern World, uh, which is really the heart of his, uh, of his philosophy. There's another book called Com- Complexity and Commitment, or Commitment Complexity, and that's snippets from his writings, organized by topic. Uh, and then there's another about his views on the Shoah, called A World uh, Built, Destroyed, and Rebuilt. Right. Which is also a translation of, uh, of the Hebrew book. book yeah. Right. Um, so those who want his philosophy can look at uh, those books, those who want to hear about the person, and there's a lot to learn from the person himself. Right. In other words, some people... You know, you may read their writings, but as as people, they are very, uh, you know, introverted and very live very staid lives and inaccessible. Ravami Tal, his personality was just so so overflowing and so colorful and so magnetic right. that you really learned a lot from the contact with him. What what I'd like to point out that is that even though he was really overflowing with charisma, he was very very careful always to not be a Rebbe. He said, I'm not your Rebbe. I'm not going to manipulate through charisma. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is a cornerstone of his educational philosophy. People would come to him and ask for his advice, and he'd say, I'm not your Rebbe. You have to decide for yourselves. This is what he wanted. He wanted to create students who could think for themselves. He he brought in Rav Lichtenstein, who's very different than him. He encouraged critical thought. He encouraged dissent. He would give a sicha in yeshiva. He would invite someone to give a counter sicha. He was open to that. He didn't want to be the authoritarian model. Um, and uh, there's he could also say some very sharp things. Once uh, someone disappears in the Lob de Chabemet, once someone asked him, uh, how come uh, so many people go to Rabbi X for for advice about their personal lives and about their marriages and about their relationships. And how come they don't come to you? I mean, you're so much deeper than Rabbi X. So he said, He said, I don't need it. In other words, it was more of a reflection on what the rabbi needed than what the, than what the talk. He encouraged it. He encouraged people to come and to be dependent on him. And Rabbi, rabbi, X, yeah. rabbi X did. And Rabbi Mital was the opposite. Um... So uh, there's a, there's a, I think another trait that comes through in, in, the, two, in the two works is um, despite, or perhaps because of, uh, his experiences in his youth, in the Holocaust, losing his friends, he had a, he had a great optimism. There was, uh, there was something, I remember a number of years ago, he came uh, to meet with a group of our educators at Atid, um, and uh, you know, he said a few words, and then the educators uh, in our program asked him questions. And someone asked him about the crisis in, in education. You know, whatever whatever era you're in, there's always a crisis in mm-hmm. in, in, in religious education, in Jewish education. And persons started asking about you know about the crisis that we're experiencing now. And he said, "Wait a minute, what are you talking about? What crisis? We've never had it so good." 
Right? You want to know what a crisis? I'll tell you what Hungary was like in the in the twenties and thirties. Right? That was a crisis. Right? Not just right. Hungary during the Shoah, right. but even Hungary right. before the Shoah. Religious life was falling and, apart, uh, and we've never had it so good. And the and the the the, the crisis mode that we often operate out of is, is is unhealthy for our work together as as uh, as educators and that's also a kind of uh, a tone that comes through in the you know it doesn't mean he he couldn't be a sharp social critic couldn't didn't mean that he didn't he didn't think it wasn't pollyanna it wasn't all a bed of roses there was work to do but in terms of of uh, you know our our position of 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 strength and optimism and and that should be the platform from which we go out to fix and build and etc. That's uh, I think is a very fresh uh, and important perspective, spe- specifically for educational work. Right. I, I think that you're pinpointing something very crucial and central to his thought, and it's not just that it's optimism, it's, it's broader than that, it's that he had perspective. Mm-hmm. He had a broad perspective. Everyone is worried about today's headlines, today's crisis, what they know from their narrow point of view. He looked at things in a much broader perspective, not just the perspective of his life, but the perspective of Jewish history. And, and that gave him a sense of proportion about things. And that gave him a sense of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And, and it worked both ways. In other words, what people are all up in arms about today he, he would often say, it's not such a big deal, don't be so worried, because in the broader perspective, and then he'd explain the broader perspective. And, you know, when you have a Rosh Yeshiva who's 60, 70, 80, and you have 18-year-old boys, they, you know, they have no perspective. And he really gave, but on the other hand, it's not just that, uh, the, the, that the things that you think of are big are not really big. The things that you think are little are really big. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, I mean, this, anyone who went to Yeshivat Haaretzion cannot forget the way he would talk about uh, the the founding of Medinat Israel, he would always quote the Nevoah and Zechariah, Od Yeshvuz Kenimus Kenot Ruchavot Yerushalayim. And then the, the, the Navi says, like, this is the great vision of the end of days, that old people will sit on park benches and kids will play in, in the park. Right. And then the Navi ends, uh, that it's not just when this will happen, but this is wondrous to me. And so he would say, <clears throat> he would say, um, you know, you grew up in Israel and you take everything for granted. But for someone like him who went through what he went through, just seeing old people sitting on the park benches in Yerushalayim, it's wondrous. It's a fulfillment of the Nevoah. Yeah. And so that also gives you a whole different perspective on things. One of the things that comes through in the memorial book a lot is a lot of people talk about his sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just that he was a funny person. It's that he thought, he, he would say that without a sense of humor, you can't have a healthy marital relationship. And without a sense of humor, you can't be a, an Ovid Hashem. You can't serve God properly. What kind of crazy thing is that to say? So he was trying to say that a sense of humor, the ability to laugh at yourself, gives you a sense of perspective. And people, you know, will get all up in arms in their relationships or whatever because, you know, they take little things and they blow them out of proportion. But he said, if you laugh at yourself, you see the real proportions of things. And even in Avodat Hashem, you have to be able to laugh at yourself. And, you know, I don't think that that can be said about many Rosh Yeshiva, that they think that uh, humor is a cornerstone of of religiosity. Um, 
Yeah, well, to move to move now to an, to another Rosh Hashiva, to Rav Amital's uh, great partner, Yibod Lechaim Tov Maruchim, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, two volumes uh, recently come out. Uh, one in Hebrew is a a series of conversations that Rav Chaim Sabato uh, conducted with uh, with Rabbi Lichtenstein on a variety of topics, uh, almost all of which have received fuller treatment in Rabbi Lichtenstein's uh, writings. Uh, and this volume, which came out last week to, to great fanfare here in the Israeli publishing world, put out by Yidiot Sfarim, uh, a large uh, national uh, publisher. Uh, it, it, in, at least in Jerusalem, it's the front display, I think, in every shop. Um, a series of, I think, 20 conversations that they, that they conducted. Uh, and basically, it's you know, edited transcripts of those conversations uh, with a brief intro and in most cases, uh, a conclusion uh, of a lengthy quote from one of Rabbi Lichtenstein's published essays on the topic that serves as a kind of supplement. And I think it's also a good gateway uh, uh, to Rabbi Lichtenstein's uh, writings uh, for the for the non-initiated. Uh, what's the you know what what's somebody going to learn if all they've ever read is is this one volume? As I assume. Uh, as I assume many people uh, will do, uh, and you know this will be their either their only or hopefully their first uh, entree to the thought of Rabbi Lichtenstein. Well, one thing that you'll get from from this book that you won't get from his voluminous published writings, and by the way, there's another volume in English that's uh, coming out next week of his uh, collected essays, uh, right, which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah, right. Um, one thing that you won't get from those is is uh, a sense of the person. Here you really have, you know, Rebletenstein, you know, in his slippers, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you, in other words, he's discussing uh, very, uh, very uh, important issues and very elevated issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, it's also very personal. You know, when he writes his philosophical essays, he's writing uh, essays about Jewish thought, his you know, Gemaras and Rishonim, and uh, and here you get you really get a sense of the person. I think that what struck Rav Sabato, I, I don't n- think, Rav Sabato didn't know Rav Lichtenstein on a personal level. He wasn't a this. student. He wasn't, he wasn't a student. student. He knew him from his writings. He knew him from, uh, you know. Here and there. Yeah, yeah from, yeah. I mean, you can't be in the world of the Hezder Yeshiva not know Rav Lichtenstein. We should mention that Rav Sabato is, of course, himself uh, a Rosh Yeshiva in uh, Malay Adumim. And uh, interestingly, is also uh, uh, an author, a leading uh, novelist, a leading novelist uh, uh, here in Israel. He's written, I think, uh, four three or four mm-hmm. novels, uh, all of which have been uh, very well received uh, in Hebrew. Um, some of them have also been translated into English. Uh, 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 novels that uh, center on the life of a young yeshiva boy going off to. Uh, the Yom Kippur War, uh, uh, his own, you know, um, pictures of, uh, you know, pulling from his own biography in the Mabarot, in the um, transition camps of a young Ole uh, uh, in in uh, in early in early Israel, uh, you know, novels that have been very well received, and uh, that's I think an interesting thing uh, on its on its own. Uh, this combination of these two things, uh, which in a different way is also reflected in Rav Aaron's own life as, of course, a leading Rosh Hashiva, but also someone who's 
who's involved not as a novelist, not as an author, but uh, who has a deep and uh, pervading interest in literature. Uh, actually, right. one of the conversations uh, centers on this. Right. Rabarn, I mean, Rabarn has a deep spiritual and religious interest in, right. in literature. So I think that uh, what, you, what Rav Sabato was very struck by was let's leave aside all the content of the ideas, but Rabarn's whole approach, I think, was fascinating to him. And this in several levels. First of all, here you have a person who's clearly a very deep and critical thinker with, with tremendous scope, and yet he has very burning faith, very passionate, deep faith. And, and Rasabato writes about how that immediately struck him, and it brought back to mind his grandfather, who was a great Talmud Chacham, but with an, and a very critical mind, but with a very simple burning faith. So that's one thing that, that struck him. Uh, another thing is that Rav Lichtenstein uh, is, is a very honest thinker and very comprehensive. Whatever he's going to deal with, he'll present all the different sides of the issue. And he'll present different approaches. He'll present the approach that he prefers, but he'll always make sure to present other approaches and to show why they're also legitimate and to point out the pitfalls in his, in his approach and it's, you have to be a very honest person to say that. Rabarn will never just say, this is the way it is, black and white, and that's how it has to be. No, he'll always, he'll always present, he'll always qualify everything he says. So those who are looking for simplistic instructions and, you know, do this or that, will come away dissatisfied. Those who are, who are looking for really the depth and the scope will find it. Uh, and I think he was also struck by Rabarn's uh, cultural and religious breath, and intellectual breath. In other words, not only is he a master of uh, Shas and Poskim and, and Jewish literature, but also of Western literature, of philosophy. He quotes left and right in, in the back. They have uh, the average Israeli reader does not know most of these people who are Blitzenstein is quoting. A one-line bio of all the people that have been right. cited in the book. Yeah. They just you need for the average Israeli reader, and, and I would dare say even for many American readers, you just need a list of not just who is Aristotle and Plato and Shakespeare and Milton, right. Right. but you know who is Bonhoeffer and who is Augustine and who is uh, you know a whole list of people that Rabarn quotes alongside, of course, quoting left and right the Rav. And, you know, the Rambam and uh, the Ramban especially. Right. Uh, in, the, in the introduction, uh, Rav Sabato mentions that there were, in the course of their conversations, there were four times uh, that he, he saw a particular sparkle, a uh, gleam in Rabbi Lichtenstein's eye. Panav robo or miuchad amilam partsumi pivme aleim kashira. Four points where where his, his face shone and the words flew. Uh, he burst into poetry. Most po- poetically from his mouth. Those four times were when he spoke about his, his own faith, his own belief system, his, his emunah b'ashem. Number two, uh, when he dealt with the profundity, the depth of what Torah study means to him. The third time when he discussed his late lamented father-in-law Rabbi Soloveitchik's Zetzal and there's a whole chapter that deals with uh, with uh, the personality and the, the role uh, of the Rav and the fourth time of course when he quoted a poem of John Milton mm-hmm. uh, you know and that says uh, you know, something about the, the scope of uh, of the work uh, 
you know, and, uh, and, uh, and who it is. And, and it's something that you don't find on the Israeli scene so much. On the American Absolutely. scene, you know, people have been talking about Torah Mata for the past uh, 80 yeah. years. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's less of an issue in Israel. Right. And people yeah. have, you know, different uh, cultural right. references. Right. Right. Again, I think that, you know, one of the really interesting things is that, you know, at the end of each chapter, uh, you know, set off in a different shade of text are these, you know, sometimes lengthy quotes uh, from from Ravaron's own writings, and you know that in and of itself is a way of entree to uh, hopefully the book will be again a gateway to, to people taking note of of his other writings. Again, people in the general uh, uh, public, uh, not not people, you know, in our own uh, you know cloistered circle of people who are. Uh, Right, the general religious public, general, the general, general non-religious public. public. Yes. Uh, and I'd like to point out that there are a number of volumes under preparation right now of Rev. Lichtenstein's collected writings, both in Lumdus and in philosophy, in Hebrew and English. But mainly, a lot of his works have come out in English, and now there's a push to put out more of it in Hebrew. Hebrew. Uh, the, the, the fourth volume, uh, which is a collection of uh, almost all previously published essays that, that have been gathered together with some, with some new, uh, as of yet, unpublished material, is a volume that's coming out in next week. just now as we speak uh, by Ketav called The Varieties of Jewish Experience. It's a collection of 11 essays, most of which were originally contributions to the Orthodox Forum series uh, that comes out of Yeshiva University, and to gather them together, chat into one into one volume, the reader can experience Ravaron's writings on a variety of topics. Tell us about some of these essays. Uh, what are the really significant uh, things here? Well, you know, they deal with a very broad variety of topics: uh, marriage, spirituality, Yerat Shamayim, egalitarianism, religious Zionism, philanthropy, uh, dealing with non-Orthodox Jews. Um, but, you know, the, the approach that he takes in all of these is, is a similar approach, uh, and that comes through in one of the previously unpublished essays, which is called uh, To Double Business Bound, uh, Reflections on Duality in the Life of Ovdei Hashem. And that's sort of a preface to, I would say, everything he's ever written, because he's, all of his essays are really talking about, um, the the tension and the complementarity of of two different uh, pulls. You have, let's say, uh, personal growth and contribution to the tzibur. You have, uh, you know, uh, you have Talmud Torah versus Gnilut Hasadim. You have uh, army and learning. You have many different tensions in religious life. Uh, and Rav Lichtenstein's approach is not to say pick one and ignore the other. It's to show why both are important religiously, spiritually, uh, for the general public, for personal growth. And uh, to do so by reference to all the most basic Nikaros uh, uh, and uh, exploring them in depth. And in this essay, he's not talking about a specific duality. He's speaking about the concept of duality. In other words, like you know, when you're going to go here and Built speak, in. he's going to say, he's going to say, there's A, there's B. A is important, B is important, and here's the tensions between them. And, but here's why you have to try to grasp both of them. Mm-hmm. And here he's talking about the, you know, the monochromatic versus the polychromatic life. And uh, so I think that it's a it's a more abstract essay than the rest, but it gives you a, sort of an entree into his entire worldview. Mm-hmm. Any other important? Publishing 
projects coming out from the Beit Midrash of Yeshivat Haratzion in the well, uh, just a week or two ago, uh, Yeshivat Haratzion published the first of ten projected volumes on uh, on the Chagim in Hebrew. Uh, the series is called Be'er Miriam, and the volume on Rosh Hashanah just came out. Mm-hmm. And it's a collection of, of uh, it's a collection of the Torah produced by Yeshivat Haratzion, but re-edited to make it accessible to to a broader public. Um, and I think that the that the editors did a the editor did an excellent job. Uh, and it covers really many different aspects of Rosh Hashanah, from you know halacha to lambdas, to philosophy, to uh, the Torah readings. And, uh, you know, it's a very uh, useful companion, not just to read on Rosh Hashanah during your free time, but more importantly, to read before Rosh Hashanah. It's Um, a very handsomely produced volume, I should say. The aesthetic of the book is, uh, hopefully, will make it uh, very appealing to a wide audience. Yes, Uh, yes. And and illustrations and artwork and uh, other things that really uh, add to the... Right, the experience of reading it, uh, and so as I said, there's going to be uh, ten volumes on the Chagim. Uh, so this is the right. one on each of the Jewish holidays. One on each of the holidays. If you count up the Jewish holidays, they don't reach ten. But we but find a way to. You throw in one on Shabbat, and then one on uh, Yom Atzmut, Yom Yerushalayim, and, and then it you can reach out. ten. Um, and in addition, so that just came out last week. In addition, in I don't know, imminently in a week, two weeks, three weeks, uh, the first of five projected volumes. Uh, in English on Parshat HaShavua are coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the series is called Torah Me'etzion. Uh, the volume on Bereshit will be out before Simchat Torah, before we start reading uh, Bereshit. Who's the publisher for that? The publisher The publisher for the Rosh Hashanah book is Yidoyot Achronot. The publisher for the uh, Parsha English. book is uh, Magid. Uh-huh. In conjunction, both of them in conjunction yeah, with the Yeshiva. Um, and the idea is not just to have another book on the Parsha, because there are already hundreds of books on the Parsha out there. The idea is really to take, and this, we, we come back to what we started with, Rav Amital. One of Rav Amital's chidushim in the yeshiva, there were many chidushim in the yeshiva, starting from the two Rosh yeshiva model to the Hezder Lechatchila model. One of them was that he said that Tanakh should be learned in the base Medrash. Mm-hmm. Tanakh is not just something that we learn through learning Gemara, and it's not something we do outside. It's Part of the curriculum. There's actually one of the conversations between Rav Sabato and Rav Lichtenstein is on the place of Tanakh in, in yeshiva study, in yeshiva right. education. And Quite an interesting chapter. Actually. Right. And Rav Lichtenstein himself is, is known as a master of Gemara and as a philosopher. But uh, anyone who's been to the yeshiva knows that he has a deep love of Tanakh and his, his literary sensibility comes through. I mean, for 40 years he's been giving sichot every Shabbos on the Parsha and... and uh, he, so he also, both of them, both Rav Amital and Rav Lichtenstein, coming from totally different directions, from the world of Rav Kook and from the world of Rav Salavechik, both of them feel that Tanakh is a very important thing. And in the past 40 years, the yeshiva has encouraged, uh, uh, through, especially through its teacher's college, uh, Herzog Teacher's College, and through the work of people like Rav Yoel bin Nun and Rav Mordechai Breuer and Rav Yaakov Meidan and Rav Mordechai Sabato, the brother of Rav Chaim Sabato, and, uh, and others, uh, the yeshiva has encouraged a new school of, of uh, from Tanakh study. Uh, and the point of these Parsha volumes is, is not just to produce another Parsha book, but really to present the best fruits of this 40 years of development of new techniques. The, the, the articles were chosen 
because, in other, if you look on the virtual Beit Midrash, we have, I don't know, maybe 15 articles on each parsha, if not more. And for each parsha, four were chosen. They weren't chosen because, you know, the, they were the best of the 15. They were chosen because they represented something methodological about the study of Tanakh. So I think that this book will be very important for people looking for a new approach to study Tanakh. Well, I know that our, our listeners, Jewish educators, and other folk uh, interested in the work of Torah study and Jewish education will have their eyes out for all of these volumes, uh, these, all, of, all of which are great resources for, uh, for teaching and for learning. Uh, the four uh, volumes that we discussed in depth uh, this morning are L'Avdecha uh, Be'emet, the memorial volume in Hebrew for Rav Amital Zichron Levracha, published by the Yeshiva and Magid, By Faith Alone, the story of Rabbi Yehuda Amital, a biography by El Yashiv Reichner, also published by Magid, and on, uh, on the Rabbi Lichtenstein side, Mevakshe Panecha, Conversations between Rabbi Lichtenstein and Chaim Sabato, uh, published by Yediot Sfarim, and uh, the collection of Rabbi Lichtenstein's essays in English, uh, put out by Ketav, entitled The Varieties of Jewish Experience, as well as a variety of other, other uh, titles that uh, we mentioned along the way. And we are grateful to... Rabbi Ziegler for discussing them with us and more so for his role in trying to spread the Torah of Yeshiva Taratzion and of his great uh, his great rebellion out to all of us. We Thank hope you. to be with you again in the near future as we t- discuss other books of interest to Jewish education.